So I'm super excited to be speaking to Keith. Keith, thanks for joining me today. Oh, my pleasure. So welcome to Boys I Met Along the Way. And I should note that Keith and I have never gone out on a date. We actually met, I think, in an event that we were having in Manhattan at the South African Consulate. We did, yes. A few years ago. So I run an organization in South Africa and we did an event... Uh, yeah, inside the consulate, it was a cheese and wine event, and you came to that event. I did, and I made it a point to come introduce myself to you. Well, I'm so glad that you did, because we have become friends, and you have also played a critical role in sort of the evolution of uh, our organization. So I'm really grateful, not only for our friendship, but also for all of the work that you've done to help move us forward. Well, I'm grateful for both as well. Well, thanks, Keith. So the boys I met along the way is really meant to be a podcast about life. And the theme that sort of ties all of these episodes together is gay. So there's a variety of directions that you can go. It's a, you know, the gay community is a multifaceted, different, you know, community. And, you know, one of the things that I think was very interesting when I asked you to, to potentially be on this podcast was the multiple layers of sort of um, when somebody decides to come out. And so one of the things that you shared with me is um, a country that we really care a lot about, South Africa, played a role in that. So tell me first yeah. a little bit about that. Well, I absolutely love South Africa and, and I've loved it really like since I was six or seven. Uh, and I can't explain to you what drew me to it or how I became to know about the country. I mean, I remember creating stories. I used to live near in uh, northern New Jersey near a brook called Saltbrook, uh, which I would go down to and play, you know, like dragons or stuff like that. But, but as time went on, I started to pretend that I was in different countries and I would always come back to pretending that I was in South Africa and also at the same time, you know, before I would go to bed, I would look at my atlas and really like trace the, the streets of the country and look at the towns and stuff like that. And I always knew that I wanted to go. Um, and it has played really since then a very pivotal role in my life. Uh, it's a country that I consider to be my center of gravity. So any time that I feel like I get off balance, I return to it, and I return to it in, in multiple ways. So, I, like, I have uh, friendships there that are now 20-plus years, um, but I also do a lot of reading about it, history, literature. Um, I certainly follow current events that are going on there. And now, you know, in Kululeko is, is an organization that I find a lot of um, joy and service in, and that's also a part of that experience as well. I'm so grateful that you that you share that because you have played a really pivotal role in our ongoing development. And I'm really glad that you came to the event at the consulate. And I too find that South Africa really grounds me in a way that no other place in the world does. And something interesting is like, we didn't know each other obviously before the event at the consulate, but we went to the same school in South Africa we as did. well. Years apart, but yeah. we did. Yeah. Me so much earlier. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, Tell me, though, before we were talking, we, before we started recording this, we were talking a little bit, and you said that South Africa played a role in not only sort of who, who you are as a person and the grounding of you as a person, but also your coming out story. Right. Tell me about that. So, I mean, that, that's, a, that's always, uh, like, a, a big question. Of course. Right? No, you I know? understand. So, I first 
came out actually in, in South Africa in a very quiet way and uh, in, at Rhodes to a friend of mine in, in De Beers in the, in the residence there. And really it was just kind of a muttering of, you know, I said, I am gay. That's the first place that I ever said that. And I, I'm really happy that I did. And I'm still great friends with the person that I came out to. He's a straight guy and uh, one of my best friends in the world. And he was very uh, engaging about it and open and comforting about it. Uh, there were other aspects, you know, there were some uh, other gay students there at the time that had approached me and, uh, you know, wanted to engage with me and socialize with me, but I wasn't ready to do it then. I mean, I wouldn't, I was 22 at the time I was at Rhodes or uh, yeah, 21, 22. Um, so I wouldn't officially uh, come out to like 24, 25 around mm-hmm. that when I moved to Los Angeles. Um, but um, that moment in SA was really uh, sort of a merge uh, for me, a merge of prior to that, I had felt very isolated as an individual. And I think a lot of gay men or, you know, a lot of gay people in general can identify with. And I always found it very difficult to make friends, uh, always very difficult to relate to. But, you know, South Africa was a place that I immediately felt very comfortable. You know, all my instincts from, you know, six years old really paid off, you know, in in that coming out and kind of reconciling uh, my my identity. And I what I can say is, you know, that period gave me the strength to move to Los Angeles because I realized moving to Los Angeles was about beginning to embrace that. I was, I Rhodes NSA gave me the strength to know that there was more than what I had experienced before mm-hmm. in my world. And, and I was going to go out and get it. And, and so that, you know, when I hopped in my car to go out to LA to come out, um, I mean, I didn't think about it in that sense, but really that was the backbone of what I was doing. So, as I mentioned, you and I went to the same school, different years in, in, in South Africa. And I found when I was at Rhodes, uh, it was a very, in my experience, a very liberal space in general. Uh, and one of my friends, uh, his, name is, his name is Eric, uh, when he found out I was gay, he said, he was actually hurt. And he said, Jason, why did you just not tell? He's a straight guy. It's oddly enough, he's a straight guy who loves to listen to Celine Dion in the shower. So he's like a very odd. So I've not met too many straight guys that love Celine Dion and but singing. That's pretty to awesome, him. though. No, he's a wonderful guy. He's yeah. from Ghana. He's a he's an awesome he's an awesome guy. I still talk to him. I still see him every time I'm there. But he said, "Why did you just not tell me?" And he was a little hurt by it. And I actually and I and I do understand that. What though about South Africa in particular and about Rhodes in particular gave you that courage to just say, "This is who I am." What can you identify what it was? I think that it comes down to, for me, it is really instinct. It is really about a deep-seated understanding of myself that, you know, so in essence, you know, in some ways, it's really not about South Africa, right? So I understood that there was something more that I wanted in my life at six and seven. Um, So, you know... We talked about it previously, you know, before this this podcast, but yeah. at six and seven, you know, I had just learned that I had a hearing problem, uh, more so than a hearing problem, it was a hearing disability. At age five, my parents learned that I was 
uh, born with bilateral oral atresia, which really means a narrowing of the, uh, the inner ear canal and a malformation of the uh, bones of hearing. And so there was, at the time, not much that I could do with it other than wear a bone-conducting hearing aid. Um, so up until five, you know, I was behind on my development uh, in terms of my speech and, and so on. So at six and seven, those were really pivotal years for me in the sense that um, I now have the hearing aid, um, but now I knew that I had, to, or my parents knew that I had to catch up with, with uh, education. Mm-hmm. And so like around, you know, seven years old and first grade, I think it was, you know, my teacher wrote a note that said I was slow um, and that I, you know, wasn't performing. And, you know, I look back on it now and I want to say, you know, come on, I have a hearing aid. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm going to be slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and maybe you should give me a little bit more uh, of your time or find other solutions for me. Um, but I very quickly learned that I was other than I was separated. And unfortunately, you know, I, I look at that and that was something that really cemented for me through, um, you know, through elementary school and to middle school and high school as well. Um, and when I started to understand my sexuality and, and that I was gay, you know, I, I really believed, you know, I didn't grow up very religious, but I believed that I believed in God and I believed God wouldn't make me gay and give me a hearing disability. So I had a hearing disability, therefore I wasn't gay. So in that separation, um, a feeling very alienated on not only the hearing, but on the, um, you know, on my sexuality as well. And, you know, by middle school and high school, people were starting to to make fun of me and really kind of note that I was gay. I mean, my parents say they didn't know, but I'm like, well, how could you not? I mean, I was rollerblading in the neighborhood with ski poles in neon and <laughs> tennis sweaters all yeah, together. Yeah, that's a telltale sign. Right. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was wearing, you know, cute outfits and yeah. um, I was listening to Cindy Lauper and um, all, all that kind of stuff. But um, do you think they didn't know, Keith, or do you think they didn't want to know? I think those are two different things. I can't speak for them. I'm going to take their, their word for that. Fair enough. Um, you know, I, I think that we all have, you know, around the subject of sexuality, I think there's so many different voices and different approaches around it. And, you know, I can only tell my particular story of it. And, you know, my parents would have their own version of it. And they're sure. responsible for that. Sure. Um, and, and I think for friends as well, I, I think we just all come at it from a different perspective, different knowledge. So I understand based on what you're doing, thank you for sharing, you know, your, your growing up and how, you know, living with a hearing disability has sort of shaped the person that, that you are and has shaped when you were growing up. But I'm not fully connecting yet anyway. I understand how the hearing disability led you to South Africa. I think I understand that. What I don't understand is how... South Africa led you to feel comfortable enough to come out? Well, because as soon as I got there, I met friends very easily for the first time in my life. Okay. So that's really the connection. Okay, got it. Uh, So that instinct that I had as a kid, that there was something about it. I mean, literally, I think it was a couple days into being at Rhodes, uh, 
people started to come up to me and want to be my friend and want to yeah. engage with me and talk to me, um, wanted to include me. Yeah. I didn't have to work very hard at that. And, and, and in that space, too, and I, and I don't want to diminish that in that sense that, I, you know, is maybe I was the American coming in. Yeah. There was a particular group of, of guys uh, who are all straight that really took a strong uh, liking to me. And we're still all, you know, good friends and there are different parts of the world now and we stay connected. Uh, but this group of individuals really brought me into their space brought me into their homes. I would stay at their homes. I would, I you know, met their parents, I met their siblings. And I also met their drama, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I was included in on that. And that gave me a space that I had never experienced before. And really what it told me was, number one, that I, I'm worth, mm-hmm. um, I'm worth being liked and loved yeah. and, you know, having time spent with. Um, and that's, uh, you know, from the social perspective, I didn't have that experience before. So I, you know, at that time, I was old enough to recognize the value of what I was experiencing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what really gave me the foundation to um, to be comfortable. Now, again, you know, I don't necessarily, for me, that story is, is, is around South Africa. Um, but I think, to me, really what that is about is you never know who you're going to impact when you reach out and when you include people in in your space what i'm hearing you say if i'm hearing you correctly is south africa it could have been it could have been egypt it could have been south africa in this case it was south africa but it provided a space where you felt safe and you felt hurt and that is what sort of prompted is that fair it is absolutely because at the end of the day we all want to be heard we all want to be seen Mm -hmm. and and that's exactly what south africa provided me then and continues to today and me too. I, I mean, I didn't come out magically when I was in South Africa, but I. But it is a place that firmly roots me in when I feel like the world is spinning off of its axis. And when Corona is done, I'm going to be on the first plane back to South Africa. You and me both. Yeah, we will. We can be seatmates if you want, because I, I will be back. I want the aisle seat, though. That's Oh, then, then we won't be seatmates, because <laughs> okay. I need the aisle as well. So right, well, well, you can, maybe you can sit in front of me that's or right. back, whatever. That yeah. works. If South African Airways still exists by the time we go, we can take South African Airways. If not, then we'll have to make we'll, another we'll figure it out. So what... I want to know, though, now is before we were recording this, you shared that, okay, so you um, came out to a a friend in South Africa who you're still friends with to this day, it sounds like. And then you came back to the United States where you sort of went back into the closet for a few years. How was that being able to be who you are in South Africa and then coming back to the U.S. and having to sort of suppress some of that? It was terrible. I remember bawling uh, the entire flight home. I was so beside myself and uh, it was one of the toughest flights ever because I knew that I was returning to uh, a life that I, that, I, that I was not my authentic self in, um, that was not fulfilling. Um, and that was, didn't work for me. No. You know, and, and, I, and I guess, in a way, that's a good experience because since then, you know, I've been working really hard to make, you know, life work for me. Do you feel like one of the people that you you mentioned, there was this person that you met at Rhodes, uh, the straight guy that you told that you were gay, he took it well. 
Is that correct? He did, yeah. So did you partly tell him because you knew that he would take it well? Because I will say in my experience, I told my friend Jen, she and I went to the prom together, the high school prom. We were cutest couple, by the way. We, were, we did look very cute. But I told her because I was almost certain that she would have a good response, and she did, which made it much easier moving forward. Did you tell this guy because you thought he would have a positive response, or did you really not know? I don't think I planned it well okay. at all. I think I did it, again, by instinct. And I, I'm quite sure that, you know, I told him after a few Brandy and Cokes. Yeah, that usually um, helps. You sure. know, I, I can't imagine that it was... I don't remember all the details. I mean, I remember doing it very specifically. Were but you at the Rat and Parrot? Was that there when you were there? there it, yes, I got thrown out at the Rat and you Parrot. You did? I did, I did. I... Yeah, I did. These these guys that I'm talking about, actually, oh, that was a good night. They yeah. uh, so it was my 22nd birthday. Okay, and I uh, we had many drinks, which okay. is what you at do the at rat. roads. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, wow. even before we got to the rat. Yeah. Okay. And uh, one of my friends decided that it would uh, be a good idea for me to have another shot, mm-hmm. and so I had the shot. And I decided that it would be fun to throw the shot glass over the wall because we were in the patio side of things. And uh, it wasn't so fun after you did it, was it? No. Well, the next thing I did, I woke. I woke up in my bed and and oh yeah, because I blacked out. It's the one and only time in my life that I blacked out. And so, you know, I mean, that's drinking like that's never like that's not a good thing to do. But. it is a life experience, you know, and I, it was great to know. It's also kind of going back to what I was saying before. I mean, that I had a group of people who cared enough for me to take yes. care of me and get me home safe. Yes. I have found that in South Africa, too. I have a group of friends who have truly become like family where, you know, one of the, the, the sort of life memories that I'm always grateful for is there's this family that sort of took me in when I was there for an extended period. And... Every time that I'm there, and we have this going now for like 15 years, I will go to their house and we take the picture at the same place every year. And you can see like us getting older. And it's something that I most value. We didn't do it this year because of coronavirus, but I cannot wait till I go back. Uh, but with, 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 well, first I have two questions with Rhodes. You lived on campus? I did, yeah. Where did you live? I lived in Quarry House. I lived in Goldfields. Okay, okay. And so the second question then is, you weren't so sure, though, when you told this guy that you were gay, how he would respond. It was just like he was a close friend of yours, so you figured, why not? Like, what was going through your mind? And was it after, you said it was after a night of heavy drinking that you told him? Yeah, I don't think not, no, we weren't heavy drinking that oh, night, okay. but I'm sure okay. that I had had a few drinks yeah. know, that evening. Uh, I, you know, it wasn't, uh, I don't remember really being very calculated about it. I mean, when I came out to my family and to other friends, you know, when I was living in Los Angeles, um, that that was all much more calculated. Yeah. Uh, with my friend in Rhodes, it wasn't. Um, I think it was actually born out of just kind of natural philosophical conversation about life. Um, and this particular individual, though, is, you know, just very open to people. Um, and different perspectives, uh, different ways of living, different cultures, uh, well-traveled now. Um, so I, I, I think for him, it was 
just an opportunity to hear a new story. Um, and it's not like he said uh, some big, you know, pronouncement that everything's going to be okay and all that stuff. He was just present. Yeah. Uh, and and that's really all that I needed. He reminds me a little bit. Have you watched the show on Hulu called Love, Victor? I have not. Okay, Keith, I'm obsessed with the show. And I hope... That at some point, if you get a chance, that you watch it. Because there's a there's obviously a gay guy. Right. And he has a very good straight friend that he tells that he's gay. And the straight friend is like... It's like a model for how a straight person can act when somebody tells them that they're gay. He just handles it so, so well in the show. I think he handles it really well. And it sounds like that's a little bit what you had with this friend of yours at Rhodes. It is, yeah. And I go back to, you know, going back to your story about, you know, the person who told you that, you know, why didn't you come out sooner yeah, to Eric, them? Yeah. I, I, for me, I struggle when straight people say things like that to me um, because it becomes, uh, you know, about them um, and their feelings where it really should, I feel, be about accepting the present and yeah. the truth. That's interesting. Yeah, no, I entirely hear what you are saying about that like somebody making it about themselves in this particular case with with eric i think his sort of pushback is like he and i were very we are still close friends we still talk pretty regularly uh he's just like did you think that i'd have some sort of issue with you being gay and i think that was more of his concern and i actually for me understand why he feels the way he did it didn't change you know my timeline but i for me i understood why he he sort of pushed back on that at least a little bit. But I want to talk, if we can, about you were out in South Africa, you returned to the United States, where you sort of proverbially go back into the closet for a few years. What prompted in the United States when you were back here to be like, okay, I just need to, I just need to do this? Was there a moment? Or was it more of a slow... To come out? Yeah. Uh, so... I knew, so, you know, I was living, uh, so I went to Gettysburg College, so I, I went back to Gettysburg. And so, you know, very grounded in the Northeast. Um, and I could not see myself going t- to New York. You know, I had my brother in New York and lots of friends in New York. And plus at that time, so this was 1999, 2000, um, you know, everyone was wearing black pants with pleats and I'm just like I cannot go to New York and wear black pleated pants anywhere okay I just can't do it and I really struggled with that and I know that sounds very superficial but obviously it was just kind of like a push for me to think about somewhere else that I could go sure um I knew that I couldn't come out in New York in the northeast just too familiar to me and so what I really wanted to do was try to recreate what I had in South Africa. Um, so that is what really took me to Los Angeles. Okay. So you went to Los I, Yeah. Sorry. Please so continue. No, you went to Los Angeles. That's where I began to, to really come out. So your move to Los Angeles, was it conscious or unconscious that it was prompted by your desire to be like gay and openly gay? Was it? It was unconscious as I was driving out there, okay. but as soon as I got there, I started, you know, sleeping with guys. Yeah. So okay. uh, that was certainly conscious. Sure. Um, you know, and and there's a part of me that you know I like, <laughs> I like to do my research. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to make sure that that was 
you know, who I was. Yeah. And I'm, I mean, like, come on, it was. So shortly after that is uh, I met a, well, it was a, a friend of mine. Uh, we actually started uh, dating, but a friend of mine who, uh, very similar to my upbringing, sort of very similar uh, to my character, uh, he was someone that made me realize that now is the time to come out and yeah. own it. It's interesting that you moved to Los Angeles for this because I, I want to share, and I told you a little bit about before we, we started recording, uh, I, I'll call him Sam. I went out with a guy named Sam who I, we went out on one date and I am now really good friends with Sam. I talk to him really regularly and he works at a very large accounting firm in Manhattan and is very closeted in a lot of spaces. And I have said to Sam many times, like if in Manhattan, he lives in Manhattan, if in Manhattan at this particular firm, people knew that you were gay, it would be the least interesting thing about you. I feel like New York City is a very safe place in general, particularly in spaces like Midtown Manhattan to be gay. Did you not find that? Cause he, he is very cautious. Well, how long ago was this for Sam? First, I mean, he's still there. So, like, I went out with him uh, a few months. I mean, six, eight months ago. Right. Well, so you have to put it into context. This was 1999, 2000. Okay, so, fair. Uh, yes, in parts of the city, it certainly was fine to be gay, but it is not nothing like it is today. Okay. Um, that's, a, that's helpful context. And, and, and also, I didn't think about it in the sense that I couldn't be in New York and uh, be... Gay, it was, I just knew too many people there that I don't think that I could have gotten out of that space so well. I mean, when I, the one thing that I absolutely love about Los Angeles, you could be, you could adopt one identity one day, change it the next day and go back to something else the the day after that. And people be like, that's great. Own it. Um, The fluidity of... Uh, just experimentation, uh, self-discovery, I think is really, there's something to that. Um, and, and I really cherish that about that. Um, I, I didn't feel like I could do that in New York. Because you knew too many people, is that why? Primarily, yeah. Okay. I mean, I, I, I say that also, I mean, when I was a kid in the 80s, uh, my parents would uh, take my brother and I into the village. And so I do remember we would go to Cafe Dante all the time. Um, and, you know, we would see, you know, the gay community out and about, and I didn't understand it at, at the time. Um, but, you know, I certainly have wonderful memories and I'm so glad I do of, of that time period in, in the village. Yeah. You know, I, one thing that I, I don't like most parts of New York City, I lived in upstate New York, moved to Brooklyn, stayed there for a little bit, and then now live about 30 minutes outside of Manhattan in New Jersey. And one thing, though, that I will say that I really liked and still like about New York is there seems to be in a lot of in most places in New York, this idea that you can be who you want to be. Like, I I know, like when I'm on the subway, there'll be somebody like in like and it's not near Halloween, but like a full cat outfit with like rainbow glitter all over them. And people are just like, whatever, it's fine. Like, let this person do whatever. And I really, I think that's actually something that's really beautiful about New York City is I feel like it invites 
and makes it okay to be who you are. Much more so than, I grew up in upstate New York, much more so than where I grew up. Have you found that to be the case or no? Not really. Okay. I mean, like, okay. I, I find New York to be, yes, open and accepting in many ways, yeah. but I think it is also reserved. And in what ways? I think it's also judgmental. Judgmental, I agree, but in reserved, I totally agree judgmental, but in reserved in which way? Um, I mean, I think that it is less, uh, people are less vulnerable. Um, people are less willing to take risks. And I'm speaking very generally. Of now. course. I'm not, of uh, course. I mean, you know, there's a lot of uh, uh, amazing culture in New York City that's very expressive. People are very expressive. But I just think that there's general sense of reservedness. Um, so I'll give you an example. I was in, when I was living in L.A., I went to a party in Silver Lake, a backyard party, nothing too fancy. Um, but there was uh, at the time, so I was in my early 30s at the time. This gentleman would have been, you know, in his uh, mid to late 40s. Um, but he had come to the party in a rocker outfit with a box of kittens. Okay. okay. Oh, an actual box of kittens. An actual box of kittens. Okay. You've got my interest. Right. And he was, he just owned that. Um, and no one at the party, I, I, I noted that, you know, made a stink about the fact that, you know, he was dressed differently than previously, um, or that he even had a box of kittens for no rhyme or reason other than he felt like bringing a box of kittens yeah. for everyone to enjoy. And I feel like that is that lack of judgment, lack of, of uh, pretense, I suppose. Uh, I don't know if you can necessarily today or even, you know, in the early 2000s have found that in New York City. I understand now, and I appreciate you sharing that, because I, I have not found New York to be terribly reserved, but I have found it to be very full of judgment. And I've often talked about, um, you know, I'm, I've been dating somebody for a few months now, and we often will talk about, I find there are certain areas where you just see, like, you know, I think, you know, I'm clean, I just, okay, I'm looking a little bit trashy right now, but in general, like, I look okay, and I find that, like, in upstate New York, I'd be one of the better dressed people, whereas in New York City, if you don't have like a Louis Vuitton bag and are looking impeccable, that you often are judged. There's a, I find it very, very image conscious. And it sounds like maybe that's what you're describing as well. Yeah. You know, one of the things, you know, growing up in, in New Jersey and, you know, being so close to New York City, you know, the, the few questions that uh, people start off with is, you know, where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Yes. And where are you working? Yes. And they're sizing you up in that space. And I hate those questions. Who cares? Um, because none of that really speaks to who you're becoming. Um, and who you're becoming is much more interesting than, than where you've been. Um, and I'd rather, I'd rather be, you know, engaged in where you are going and so on. I will say one thing that I do love about New York, because don't get me wrong, it is one of my favorite cities on the planet. I do love the investment in education and in intellectualism. Um, I mean, people are... Uh, willing to talk about politics of the day, share their opinions. And that's not always the case in other parts of the world. Mm -hmm. And I and I do think that that's valuable. But how you get to that point, I don't think that's really relevant. I agree 
wholeheartedly with what you just said about not asking people what they do. So I was on Hinge, Bumble, uh, Tinder, and what's the other one that I was on? Hinge, Bumble, Tinder, and I don't remember. There was I was on four. Uh, and I found that I very intentionally did not ask people where they worked because I think people feel very judged and unnecessarily so when you do that. I often like once I was sitting down with people after I talked to them, but I would ask them because I think that's natural, but I wouldn't ask them right out the gate right? for the reason that you've described because I think it can, it's sort of like how much am I going to value you as a human being? I think that's the sort of the impression that people get is like if you ask that question too quickly, that that is why you're asking. Is that sort of what you're talking about? Yeah, I mean, I think for this particular region, though, I think it's, it's very natural, mm-hmm. you know, to ask that question. Um, but I, like you, I take an intentional step to remove myself from those. Yeah, you know, and, and ultimately, I mean, for for those apps, you know, you want to find people that you there's stuff that you have in common that you like to do, and you know, that's how you kind of build relationships. Yeah, you know, not not for those material stuff. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, also it becomes relevant in a, at some point, but off the bat. I'm not interested. Yeah. Yeah. I went out with a guy. You used to live in Jersey City. I did, yeah. Yeah, I went out with a guy who um, worked in Jersey City and worked at a large accounting firm in New York. And I remember not asking him. uh, I was actually, I'm very, this is a story that embarrasses me a little bit, but I'll still share it. I didn't ask him where he worked before I went out with him for the reasons that I've already mentioned. And we sat down, we were at a Mexican place in New Jersey and after, you know, we had been there for a little bit, I said, where do you work? And he told me it was a very large accounting firm. And the person that I was with in the past worked at a very large accounting firm. And because of the hours, I hate, I hate companies that like own you. Like they pay you a lot of money, but you are owned by the company. And so my heart sort of sank when he told me that. And I proceeded to very aggressively question him about his work-life balance for the remainder of our first date. And when I think back on it, I'm thinking, this guy, I'm so surprised that he didn't just say, actually, Jason, you can fuck off. Like, this is who I am. He was so nice. We went out one or two more times. But I found that that was something that really, tr- like, triggered me. And that, like, when I heard that, I, when I heard the name of the firm, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. I am not getting anywhere near this because I was concerned about what it would mean in terms of a work-life balance. And I didn't want to do that again. So you are also dating now and you're on the apps. Do you find, do you find things that are like very much like you write people off if you know something about them? Like for me, it was like, if it was big for accounting, goodbye. Or if it was big law, goodbye. Do you have anything like that for you where it's just... Uh, that's a great question. And I will say that I'm committed now to not try well trying not to be uh put too many parameters up on things like that anymore okay um i mean i think there's and there's a a few reasons for that i i believe for me trying to be as open as possible is a way to maybe surprise me in life and see you know what new doors might open uh i mean i have physical types that, that we all I, do right sure. yeah for sure. um you know i recently went on a date where someone was just a lot larger than me mm-hmm. uh, you know in height and just you know bone structure and and you know i i guess have overpowering issues there so uh that that's not 
of interest to me. But um, I, I don't know. The, the short answer to that is I, I really don't know. But I, I want to stay open because I, number one, I want to be surprised and I yep. never know who you're going to meet. And I, I, yeah, I just don't want to box myself in. What about, so I understand that. I think like if you're not physically attracted to the person, then it, it would, in my opinion, wouldn't work long haul anyway. Yeah, but I also agree though that... It's not always, you're not always going to be maybe physically attracted on the first go. I really? It, I don't, I mean, listen, if, if they repel you, I think that's a different okay, fair, story. Fair, but fair, but fair. if you are having great conversation, um, you like their company, and but maybe at first you're not feeling that chemistry, I think it's worth another shot or two. Yeah. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't like to belabor, I you know, things, but I, I would not turn down... You know, something that if I'm enjoying myself, let me try it again. Yeah. So are there any things that make you on a date immediately say, no, thank you? Because we were talking again before this podcast and I was saying I went out with somebody once and we were talking about we were at a restaurant and when the waitress came over, he proceeded to order for both of us. And I thought, no, 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 no way. He ordered. Yeah, he ordered for me and for him and I can I can order my own meal. So are there any, so that for me was immediate, no. Are there things that you would be very conscious of on a date where you'd be like, no, thank you? Well, certainly if someone spoke for me, that would definitely be one. It took me a long time to find my own voice and to use yeah. my own voice for anyone else to try and take over my voice. No way. Sure. It's not going to happen. I understand. Uh, so that's very precious to me. I, I think rudeness. Yeah. Uh, you know, how how do they treat, you know, the wait staff yeah. um, or any individuals? I mean, to me, the one of the best attributes is kindness. I think that is, um, you know, the biggest turn on for me. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, someone, I like individuals who ask questions. Um, I do too. I do not like going on dates where people don't engage with you. Uh, totally and understand. I don't know why that seems to be pervasive. Mm-hmm. It's pervasive on the apps um, and a number of dates that I've been on. And I, I, I don't understand that. I mean, like, how are you supposed to get to know someone if you're not going to ask questions? Right. And because and, I also think that would be indicative of a relationship. And I don't want to control someone else. Yeah. You know, I understand, you know, there are uh, ebbs and flows with relationships, but I'm not interested in a dominant relationship one way or the other. I understand that. And I, I do understand what you're saying about wanting a person that asks questions and thoughtful questions because I have fun on the app, the apps when I was on them, that I would get a lot of people that would, you know, I, I filled out quite a bit in my profile about what I'm interested in. There was a lot of South Africa in there because I'm a bit obsessed, much like you with South Africa. And I would sometimes get people that just write, hey, handsome. And I thought, you know what you guys did? You copy and pasted that. And you sent it to every single person that you matched with. I didn't like the hey, handsome open. I thought it was cheap and I didn't enjoy it. And I often would call people on that. And often the conversation would end and they wouldn't talk to me again, which is fine. I found that for me, somebody that had taken the time to actually read my profile and ask a question about something in that profile was very appealing to me. Do you find that with the apps as well? Listen, I don't mind anyone calling me handsome, okay. so I'm going to respond well to that. <laughs> okay, fair, <laughs> fair. So, but I will say, so I I love people who read my profile and too. ask a specific question. That's yeah, great. Yeah, same. Um, if they say, hey, handsome, I, 
you know, I will respond to that. I, I don't think I see it the same way you do on that. Okay. Uh, what I don't like is, you know, got a pick, and yep. I clearly have picks. Yes. Uh, I don't like... Oh, one thing that really I struggle with big time is the word masculine. Mm-hmm. If it's in a profile, if it's in a conversation, um, you know, it's... It, it really... I, as a gay man, I find that to be... Uh, I, I just think all men are masculine, mm-hmm. you know, and um, the definition of masculinity for each individual can be different, right. you know, and uh, so that's a question that I don't like, um, and I see it more reflective of the person who uses it yeah. um, in the sense of like mask in a stereotypical sense. I understand. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. I have a few questions for you. We are in coronavirus times and i want to know what is your hope for this year if you had to pick like one thing that you sort of hope for by the time the 2020 is done because i think it has totally disrupted every aspect of our lives including dating what is something that you hope for in 2020 that's a really good question yeah it can be dating or otherwise it can be you know it doesn't have to be necessarily dating but what is something that you hope for by the end of by the end of this year I go back to the virtue I find most attractive, which is kindness. I like to see more kindness in our daily interactions, um, more kindness in our politics, um, and more kindness in our in our workplace too. Um, I think that all all of that is possible. Mm-hmm. You know, I think for people who are working from home and raising families and dealing with multiple issues at once and doing work, you know, I think that we can see that and we can have greater empathy for that. I think the current political situation where we are today, um, I think that there's, for me, there's a clear choice towards kindness. Um, and um, hopefully we'll, we'll choose in that direction as a country. Uh, yeah, and I, I, for me, I want more of that as well. That's the thing that I hope for. Um, I mean, there's so much adversity for all of us, yeah. in, in, you know, some far greater than others. Um, and that adversity has to be, has to yield some result. And so I hope that it's kindness for each other. What would the Keith of today say to closeted Keith what, about what you know about life now? What would, what would, what would adults Keith say now to somebody that is, to young Keith? Well, I have a couple things that I would say. Okay, what would you say? Um, I think the overarching thing that I would say would be just love yourself more. Okay. The other part would be just relax and get fucked. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. That's that's very honest. So that's two things that you would say to younger Keith. Yeah. To if I'm be- I'm being really honest no, there I want because you to. I think just embracing who you are and that's yeah sexuality is part of who we are. On that, I want to say thank you so much for joining me on Boys I Met Along the Way. I wanted to have an honest conversation. You had an honest conversation with me. And you have continued to um, not only be a friend, but also be somebody who has really made a profound difference in something that we both care about, and that is South Africa, through your you know, advocacy and work with, with Nkululeko. So I'm really, really grateful for that as well. Well, thank you, Jason. I appreciate being here. Okay. Thanks, Keith.